Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Welcome to this episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich. I'm the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today's guest on the show is Bishop Goodpastor. Uh, we're recording this live at Lake Junaluska the Friday before this show airs on Wednesday. So it's good to have you face-to-face this time. It's great to be here. Thank you. And so you were the very first guest on this show back in January of 2015. And so you're coming down to the end of the year, and uh, we're sort of going to wrap up and look at a year's worth of what's been happening. So it's been uh, it's been a fascinating year, 2015, with uh, so many things happening in the world, uh, so many tragic events, uh, and and yet so many uh, positive things that have happened in churches across Western North Carolina, and I know repeated in many other places. I've had an opportunity this year to to travel to a couple of other countries, uh, spent some time in Cambodia once again. And uh, it's just amazing to see what God is doing in spite of all the things that uh, we hear about on the news. Uh, it's been uh, it's been quite a year. Well, um, well, let's go back into um, the first part of the year. And I think that when we were talking in January, you were about to go to Cambodia, were you not? Or had you just gotten back? Uh, January was, we were about to take our uh, big conference trip to the Holy Land. That's right. Yeah. And uh, had a great experience. Almost 200 people from uh, across Western North Carolina, lay in clergy, uh, and, and just had a, a, a really positive experience. We traveled uh uh, in, in many of the places that I love to go now as I take groups over there to uh, uh, go into Bethlehem, we traveled through uh, some of the Old Testament uh, sites of Samaria and uh, went to Nablus where uh, Jacob's well is located, where the, Jesus met the woman at the well. Uh, these are places that uh, in it's only been in recent years we've been able to travel. They're, they're in the West Bank, mm-hmm. and uh, we traveled... Uh, uh, many, many miles over those days, uh, never had uh, any sense of trouble or danger, and just had some high spiritual experiences. So that's what we were getting ready to do. That was, uh, we left uh, in the early part of February. Okay. And uh, it was about a, uh, ended up being a 10, 10 and a half day trip by the time you add in the, the flight times. But great experience. 200 folks from the conference uh, would love to do it again. Uh, timing is everything. Sure. So how many trips to the Holy Land is that for you now? Uh, that, I think that was my 12th trip to the Holy Land. It may have been 13. I kind of lose track. I did a couple of years where I kind of did back-to-back trips. So I had different groups, but I stayed there right. uh, for the whole time. But, um, yeah, it's just a high, uh, not only a spiritual experience where you uh, uh, encounter the Bible in some very real ways uh, and and see the land and how Jesus and uh did the parables and taught, but uh, also just the the current realities of what people uh, are living with and living through uh, mm-hmm. currently. Yeah, I know that um, when I was in Mississippi, uh, Bishop Metters uh, brought Alex 
Awad. Yes. And I'm guessing he's still there and in still ministry. There, still there at the Bethlehem Bible College. And uh, always make a point, uh, attempt to make a point to stop there and let people see what some of our advanced special monies are going to. He's a uh, GBGM, right. Board of Global Ministries missionary. And uh, uh, it's always good to see how our uh, some of our apportionment dollars are being used. For sure. And I know that uh, when you go and spend time on the West Bank, you spend time... Uh, in those kinds of territories, you learn something about the political element of uh, of what's going on in the Middle East. And but but people are so gracious uh, wherever we are, whether we're in uh, Israel or in the West Bank. People are just gracious. They're glad to see us. Uh, one of the one of the stops we make. It's always fun to do this. Uh, there's a wonderful little restaurant uh, in Samaria. We actually go up to the ruins of. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel's palace and and uh, get to see that. But there's a little restaurant there, and the owner, operator, chef, uh, host there is a graduate of the University of Alabama, of all things. Hmm. So you walk up in Samaria, and here's great big roll tide signs all over the place. We had a person uh, with us on this trip from the University of Alabama, and I sort of made a point to say, I'm coming here just for you, but obviously we weren't. Right. But it was great to watch him reconnect with uh, with that person. So, yeah, you know, so it's a great world, and and people are uh, are wonderful folks to meet. Uh, no doubt about it. And so, did you get to go back to Cambodia this year? You said I went uh, late August and early September okay. uh, for the annual meeting and. All the pre-meetings and post-meetings of, of that, it, it's their equivalent of our annual conference. Uh, we're still a, a, a mission outpost. Uh, about 160 churches there, now, now Methodist churches there. We're moving toward uh, creating the Methodist Church of Cambodia. And so we're in partnership with uh, the Singapore Methodist, Malaysian Methodist, Chinese Federation of Methodist, and uh, Korean Methodist Church. So all of us work together. Uh, our various agencies and missionaries are working together to create the the Methodist Church of Cambodia. Um, the mission superintendent, the sort of the lead uh, uh, pastor there, is for the first time now Cambodian. Been serving in that uh, capacity for two years, um, and it's exciting to watch what God's doing in in another part of the world. So, um, how would you characterize? Um Worship, uh, liturgy, that kind of thing in Cambodia. Well, we would probably uh, classify it in, in our terms of very contemporary. So many of the churches that I have been in, um, the the leaders of the music, the the instrumentalists are all young people. The church there is very young, um, and and that's exciting. Uh, sure. So many children, so many young people, um, but uh, it's it's pretty lively. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of a Pentecostal flavor to it, but uh, just uh, upbeat music and and uh, uh, almost all the pastors are bivocational. Uh, most of the churches are uh, meet in the homes of either the pastor or some prominent layperson. They're not a lot of just church buildings, right? But um, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing to watch. Now, is this something that you will continue doing after you retire? <laughs> well, that's an ongoing conversation I'm having with uh, GBGM right now. Um, because of the timing this year, I won't be able to go at all, and I've informed them of that. And because of what I'm going to be doing when I retire, uh, I'm probably going to step aside and, and let one of the active uh, and encourage one of the active bishops to to move uh, in that position. And we're going to talk more about retirement and things later in the show, but. Um, 
let's talk about annual conference, our annual conference uh, over 2015. What do you see as the high points for well, us? Well, we, we had it, and it was successful. It was a good conference. Uh, yeah, mid-June, late June. Uh, I think, uh, of course, one of the things we did this year was elect delegates to the general and the jurisdictional conferences that happened in 2016, uh, and, and that went smooth. We did it differently this year. We used uh, uh, some technology and some electronic voting devices, and uh, after a little bit of time, people kind of got used to it. Uh, we, you know, ran into some issues. People, uh, we kept saying, you have to turn your cell phones off, and you have to, uh, right. you know, shut down the Wi-Fi and all that because it was interfering. And uh, it took some folks time to get over that. Uh, we're, we're just so wired, so connected people that uh, it's it's hard to turn that off for a little bit. But I thought that went smoothly. We had uh, great worship services, as always. The worship planning team did a great job. Uh, and, you know, I always take a deep breath on uh, Sunday morning after everyone is left, and uh, I'm kind of one of the last ones to leave the auditorium, you and others are cleaning up the right. the equipment. But uh, uh, it was just, uh, for me, just a good spirit, good feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, you know, looking forward to one in 2016. But um, we're we're working on, as you know, Michael, we're, we're working on a four-year emphasis in, in our themes for annual conference right. on what are the characteristics of uh, a vital church? Our whole vision, our whole reason for uh, working here in the conference is to increase the number of vital congregations. And so the first year we we talked about being missional, getting outside the walls of the church, being in mission with people in the neighborhoods, in the communities, and, and in the world. Then uh, uh, in 2014, it was uh, generosity and right. the importance of stewardship. This year, we focused on evangelism and uh, the need to tell the story. And uh, it's great to do all the very different, very exciting kind of mission things, whether it's backpacks or feeding the hungry or visiting in the prisons. Uh, but we need to go one step further, and that is to tell everybody why we're doing this. It's right. because of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us and for the world. Uh, and so that was our emphasis, which I thought went uh, went well. We used uh, a Casting Crowns uh, song, Until the Whole World Hears, uh, as our theme. They were gracious to let us use that, and we were able to play it a couple of times. And um, that really kind of set the tone for it. So anticipating 2016, we'll be focused on uh, that wonderful passage from Matthew chapter 5, You Are the Light of the World. A vital church is the light of mm-hmm. the community. And... Um, whether it's through hospitality, outreach, uh, engagement in the community, we are the light. We're the salt of the world. Okay. So, yeah, uh, it might be about six months away, but, yeah, yeah we're already already planning. Putting it together. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, in my position, I always dread, dread these months. <laughs> um, in, in the fact that, uh, uh, say, February through May, I work harder than any other time yes. of the year. Yes. And so uh, and we start, I mean, we did an evaluation in August and uh, actually started planning the following annual conference uh, in September. Worship team got together and it, it's just uh, it takes a lot to pull it off. Now, I saw a list of uh, the speakers coming, but you could tell them easier than I can. I certainly can. So uh, for our ordination service, which is always a high moment, uh, 
you know, it happens on Saturday night, and there are a lot of folk who do not come, and yet the auditorium is always filled because uh, family members are there or uh, members of churches where right. the people who are being ordained are, are uh, present. Bishop Cynthia Harvey, she's uh, uh, down in Louisiana, uh, will be coming in to preach that ordination service for us. Uh, she uh, formerly was uh, worked for UMCOR and uh, traveled the world uh, and has a very great perspective and, of course, now serving in Louisiana as they continue to, to recover from sure. Katrina and so many other things. But So she's preaching on um, on Saturday night. Um, a young man from uh, Mississippi, I've tried not to bring too many people from Mississippi since that's my home, but uh, Brian Collier is going to preach on thir- Thursday night. Brian was a New Church Start pastor. Uh, right. I actually was his district superintendent and, and was instrumental, I guess instrumental. I was the superintendent who right. appointed him with Jack Metters. Uh, and uh, the church started there in Tupelo. They run a couple of thousand people in worship now, and they've had a couple of satellite campuses. So he's coming to preach on uh, Thursday evening. And then uh, for our opening communion and for commissioning on Friday, um, Dr. William McLean, uh, oh, wow. uh, who is a uh, professor of preaching at uh, Wesley Seminary in Washington, uh, a friend of mine, uh, gotten to know him really well over the last several years, and I'm just really excited about bringing him here. Um, just He has a great perspective on on so many things and a, a good preacher. So I think we've got a good lineup of folks who are coming in. Um, I'll, I've wanted over my years here to bring uh, quality worship services, quality preaching, and I think we've been able to do that. I think you have. And, uh, yeah, I, I was thinking back to Brian Collier. I believe I was in, Mississippi, in Mississippi when he when was appointed. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and it was just a new start. Brand new. Brand and new. Uh, and to think that it's now at 2,000, uh, averages more than Tupelo First, where yes. you were. Yes. Uh, in fact, I appointed him. I was the district superintendent appointed him, and then Bishop Matters appointed me to First Church Tupelo, and I I told Bishop Matters, if I'd have known that, I might not have appointed him out there. There you go. But uh, it, you know, it was a great time, great time. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, come back and talk some more. And so uh, hear, hear now a word from our conference staff, Sally Queen. My name is Sally Queen, and I'm the Associate Director of Ministerial Services. By virtue of our baptism, we are all called into ministry. This call is being faithfully lived out in the communities of Western North Carolina as people of all ages participate in building God's kingdom. Others are responding to God's call to license or ordain ministry by committing to faithfully lead our churches in vitality. All who are called are using their talents and gifts to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build a church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people, as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. You can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina by going to our website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back here live with uh, Bishop Goodpastor, and uh, we mentioned his retirement in the last segment, but uh, this last half we're going to talk more about it. And so uh, it was announced back in uh, November. Well, we knew September. 
that September of 2016 was it. Right. But it was announced back in November uh, that you have a new job after this one's over, and you'll be going to um, uh, Candler as the bishop in residence. And in fact, they just got the um, news release out this week. So it was announced first on Facebook, and it even came as a surprise to you, I know. Well, it, it uh, we had worked on the article that they were going to publish, and I, I think it went out in the Emory alumni world, and then they did more of a news release later. Yeah, yeah so yeah, the news release actually was in uh, United Methodist News Service this week. So it's good that we're talking hey, about we're it this going. week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, uh, you know, there's life after being a bishop. I guess uh, it's it's sort of the next chapter of my life. Uh, we're I I've, I know it's coming and have been in conversation with uh, with Dean Jan Love for uh, several months before we uh, finalized all of that. And um, so I know it's coming. I know it starts September first. But uh, you know, there's a huge part of me that can't get too far into that because there's so much that we want to get done in the next nine months uh, here in Western North Carolina. So uh, there's a little bit of tension there, sure. uh, trying to uh, uh, think about that, but also not let it dominate everything else. Uh, to know, Deborah and I know, you know, we're going to be moving to Atlanta, and uh, it really works well for our family. Our oldest daughter and three grandchildren live in Marietta, so we can well, be close to them, and our youngest daughter and uh, one and soon to be two grandbabies uh, are in Montgomery, so that's a quick trip over from Atlanta. So family-wise, it's good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Candler is my alma mater. I have both MDiv and uh, and a Doctor of Ministry from Candler from uh, <laughs> way back in the dark ages. Seems like a long time ago, and yet time goes pretty fast. Um, so I'm excited about going there. Um, They, uh, as we've talked about it, I had a chance uh, to sit down with the academic dean uh, back in September. Uh, I'll be teaching one course, at at least one course a semester, and uh, pretty much uh, have given me some openness to what I teach. So we'll start out with teaching some leadership and and some courses on the missional church and um, hopefully uh, not only theological academic stuff, but just the practical side of what it means to lead a church uh, mm-hmm. in the 21st century. And then uh, assorted other things that uh, a bishop in residence there does. I'm, bishop uh, Woody White has been there for 12 years in that role, and uh, he's one of my heroes. Oh, no uh, even before I was elected bishop, he's just uh, an amazing man. He's done a great job there. A little bit of fear and trembling on my part of following him. I can't fill his shoes. Uh, Thankfully, he's still going to be around uh, periodically. Um, So I have some responsibilities in chapel services and and preaching occasionally in the chapel. But the thing that really excites me, and I know uh, many of those who serve in this role get to do that, uh, just working with the young students, Mm. working with... United Methodist students in the process toward ordination. And as you know, one of my uh, ways in which I've invested time here in Western North Carolina is to spend time with some of our young clergy and some of the folks who are just coming out of seminary, uh, kind of investing in the future. And so this is a chance to continue to do that uh, sort of at the level before they come back to annual conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's exciting to me. Um, thankfully, I, I know it's coming. Um, there. 
they were gracious enough to say you don't have to teach a course in the first semester out. So fall of 2016 will be a time of transition, time of of resting and uh, sort of regrouping and and making the move and settling in before uh, starting to teach in January of 17. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, down at Duke uh, doing continuing ed early in November and ran into Bishop Williman uh, Mm -hmm. just briefly. Um, And then there have been several articles in the last couple of months, and he's reflecting about his time as a bishop, but reflecting on now doing what he's doing. I think he has four courses this semester, uh, and this is something he really enjoys. But right. there is something about investing in those students. And and uh, I, I just think about uh, Bishop Ken Goodson, who was at Duke when I was there, uh, and the amount of time he spent with us. And it made all the difference in the world. It, it does make a difference. I, back in my day, when, when I was a student at Candler, Bishop Nolan Harmon was there. And uh, uh, wow, he was just uh, kind of this uh, fountain of knowledge and of Methodism. He had been around uh, for so many years and influenced a lot of people, mm. uh, and and certainly did me. Uh, so, yeah, I think about that. I think about others who served in that role. I actually ran into Bishop Williman uh, not long ago, and uh, we were talking about those roles. And his is slightly different at Duke. He does teach more classes, and again, that's his strength. That's what right. he wants to do. And so, um, they, you know. Looking forward to, to connecting with other bishops who are doing that. Bishop Pennell, one of my uh, dear great friends, uh, who does uh, the has that role and service at Vanderbilt. Okay. And, uh, so it, it, there are there are a number of us who do that, and uh, it'll be fun to talk with them. Well, uh, look forward to hearing more about that, and uh, I'm certain they they will enjoy you being there. Now, you did mention uh, you got a lot to do. Uh, yeah. Before you leave, let's talk about that. Uh, what what do you want us to, uh, to accomplish as a conference between now and sure. September? Well, um, there, it's a long list yeah. that I, we probably won't get to. Um, well, you know, one thing's Michael. I mean, we've we've been now uh, we're into our fourth year of this major transition. Uh, not just reducing the number of districts, uh, but changing staff, changing relationships. Uh, really. Uh, working to to push ministry into the local church and uh, the whole I, some of the idea behind missional networks was mm. around churches getting engaged with one another and in the community um, and so we've got a lot more to do to make that happen we've learned a lot in the last three years in this transition uh, I didn't have I, I did not have any illusion that the transition would be finished in two weeks. Right. I knew it was going to take a number of years. I think it'll take uh, a, a few more years. We're we, we've we've sort of challenged the status quo, and the status quo has been the stability for four or five decades. Sure. And so it takes a while to change that. Uh, the superintendents have been working very hard to to change their way of functioning. And we've worked with conference staff. You've been right. a part of many conversations and, and we're still learning and we're still adapting. So one of the things that I, all that is to say, one of the things I hope that we can accomplish by August 31st is to have all the pieces in place, have everybody in place working uh, we know we still have some transitions to make in personnel um, and uh, just in the, the general direction. So hope we we'll get all those pieces in place. The other side is is also to continue to help our clergy and our lay people, to continue to help our local churches to understand that we're operating in a different 
world no and doubt. we're operating in a different system now. <clears throat> it's all about pushing uh, mission and ministry. Uh, not that the churches exist to support the conference, but the conference exists to support the ministry of the local churches. And we're trying to find ways to do that more effectively. We're not there yet. Right. We, we've learned a lot. Uh, we've, we've gotten some good people who've, who've come on board to help us with that. Um, and more steps do. So that's another piece that I hope we can continue to push. Um, and then thirdly, just this whole notion of, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've, we've, talked for now for a, a year or so uh, among conference staff, among district superintendents, and, and out into the churches that if we're going to be vital churches, the churches are only going to be vital because they are filled with fully devoted, fully uh, willing, committed, deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ. So we've got to develop systems that make that happen. Um, and and create an atmosphere where people can grow in their faith and and grow in their expressions of their faith in everyday life. So uh, that's going to be a, a big emphasis and part of what we're doing at 2016 annual conference. You're the light of the world. Mm. You are the followers of Jesus. You've got to show your light in the world. But <laughs> the light comes from inside, so it's got to start first with our own right. relationship with God. Okay. Well. We definitely have a task before us. It's, we do. It's not going to be uh, an easy year uh, to well, make I think, all these transitions. Uh, I, I think, too, as I look at, at my own calendar already, pretty filled until August, um, that so not only are we trying to get all these things done, we've got all these conferences, so general conferences coming, then annual conference, then jurisdictional conference, and there's preparation for that. Our delegation has been meeting, continues sure. to meet on a regular basis. And and so it in it's not really a distraction, but it does take some time away. And so we've got to work on that. Obviously, starting in January, uh, actually we've already started uh, just that whole process of making appointments and uh, going through that uh, rather lengthy, time-consuming, uh, lots of prayer time uh, season of making appointments, really from kind of mid-January till the end of April. Yeah. Yeah, and as it goes, it's been sort of constant. Uh, I think we talked about this in January, but uh, it's more and more the case that clergy are moving year-round. There's openings year-round, and the cabinet is meeting every month. We meet every month. I'll, yeah, well, we took some time off this summer. I took some renewal leave back in the summer of 15. But, um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of the different world we're living in. Uh, uh, some clergy choose to retire mid-year, and that creates an opening. Uh, some may get an extension ministry appointment. Some may go and do something other than local church parish right. work. And so uh, all that does is create more opportunities for us to to get engaged and get uh, people deployed where they can most effectively serve Christ. No doubt. I think you've got a – you just had your December meeting, didn't you? Uh, uh, we, our, it's actually uh, – so by the time the radio program shows next week, we will have finished. So okay, that's what I was Tuesday. thinking. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're right in the middle of it, and then you'll come back in January, in January and then it gets then serious. Yep, yep. Okay, so um, general conference, and I'll be going to um, uh, the general conference briefing session in January. Mm -hmm. um, just looking at that, just a minute, what, what do you see happening? You were really big in it in 2012. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... Um, Hopefully, I uh, will not be quite as involved this time. Although, you know, bishops are involved. I mean, 
we talk a lot about the bishops who just sit on the stage and, and there's, there's not a lot of uh, uh, opportunity for bishops to be. I mean, you have to get permission to speak even. Right. And we have no vote. And yet, uh, one of the things that we're really working hard on this time, the bishops have have initiated uh, essentially a 131-day prayer vigil okay. that starts January 1st and goes right up to a general conference in May. And every conference has a day. Western North Carolina is will be responsible for the prayer vigil on the first Sunday of April, April the 3rd. And, and we'll invite churches and, and people all over the conference to pray that day for general conference. Uh, so we're trying to... to kind of change the atmosphere, put some spiritual basis into it. We're working on uh, uh, bishops being involved in prayer vigils throughout General Conference during the two weeks that we're in Portland, uh, along with others. So we're we're trying to kind of set the stage and create the atmosphere for that. Um, I've seen just a few pieces of legislation. You know, it's a fascinating process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to general conferences since 1988, and I, I never cease to be surprised at what uh, occupies our time. But um, I, I think the church will uh, discern what God has in store, and hopefully will be responsive to the movement of the Spirit. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that. That came out by a press release this week. Yes. And so um, I'll be announcing it briefly, and then as we get more details... Everybody will find out more about April the third. So. Right, and we're we're actually having some conversations next week. Kim Ingram, our conference secretary, and I are getting together and uh, just sort of mapping out how we can. Uh, we want it to be not just that particular Sunday. We want to encourage our churches and our people to be in prayer for General Conference from now until the end of May. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we think we can find some ways to do that. And and while we may have the April 3rd date assigned to us, it doesn't mean that we can't say, okay, folks, every first Sunday, January to May, let's pray for the general conference and pray specifically for our delegation and Mm. pray for those who are coming from many parts of the world. So we're we're hoping to do that. Okay. Well, we got about a minute or so left. Um, You're the bishop. (laughs) <laughs> you get to say anything you want. Well, I tell you what, it, it's uh, it's hard to believe that I'm coming to the end. And, mm. and you know, August 31st is out there, nine months from now. And uh, uh, it's just been a, a, a true joy and blessing in my life to, to kind of end my active ministry in Western North Carolina. Uh, just great, great churches and people who, who've been responsive. I've been so grateful for the many ways in which people have responded to, to uh, vision and mission and purpose and why we're why we're about this. So it's been great. And this this initiative that you've started with the radio program, I love it. It's just another way to communicate with people. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. And so thanks for being uh, here with us on Connect. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week um, connecting United Methodist and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.